Hey everyone, welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, and you're listening to part two of the week three podcast. If you'd like to go back and get the skinny on the Lions, Elks, or Stampeders, Alouettes games, I broke both of those down in part one, and in this installment, we're going to do the same for the other two games on the week three schedule. We've got a doubleheader again on Saturday, starting off with an afternoon tilt between the Bombers and the Argonauts. These teams played last week, of course, Winnipeg getting the win and the cover with a 20-7 victory under the lights in the peg. This game will be Toronto's home opener, and we're seeing pretty similar numbers as last week, with the Bombers showing about minus six where available early, though this has opened substantially different at the major books, currently sitting at minus three and a half. First up, we'll go through our injury report, and this could be a segment in and of itself with the way things are looking right now for these teams. For the hometown Argos, who already began the season with a number of notables on the six-game injured list, I can tell you that Philip Blake, Juwan Breskison, Coney Ely, and Charleston Hughes were all absent from practice on both Tuesday and Wednesday, and several other veterans were limited. That list includes John White, Hinoch Muamba, and Eric Rogers. Now, I've got to think some of these guys were maybe just having a maintenance day or two, but regardless, it's not a good sign that so many players are missing practice time, even if they are able to suit up on game day. I think this might be the case with Charleston Hughes in particular, an older veteran on that team, possibly John White as well. But it's conceivable right now that the Argos may be down their entire preseason projected starting defensive line. For the Bombers, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat have both been limited again this week. Both were listed as questionable for last week's game, but they did play and didn't really look any worse for wear during the game. Still, it's likely they're not going to be quite 100%. Linebackers Kyrie Wilson and John Trell Rockmore, both absent from practice so far this week. Neither of them played last week. And now we can add Nick Dembski and Drew Wolitarski to the list of the wounded Neither of them practiced on Wednesday. On the positive side, it looks like Darvin Adams is going to be good to go on Saturday, and Andrew Harris is back on the practice field in a limited capacity. Though at 2-0 for the Bombers, I don't expect them to be taking any chances here with their star, and I would lean towards him sitting out a third consecutive game. That's obviously a lot to try and quantify, But one thing we do know is that Nick Arbuckle is going to get his first start for the double blue after relieving McLeod Bethel-Thompson last week. Arbuckle was able to lead a touchdown drive and looked decent throwing the ball overall. He did have a lot of incompletions, although I'm willing to cut him a bit of slack as most of those came down two scores in the fourth quarter and the Bombers defense was able to back off and focus on pass coverage. Toronto ran a fairly run-heavy offense in the first game of this set, running the ball on over half their first down snaps. And John White did find some running room with four explosive runs. They're going to need another dose of that to keep some of the heat off of Arbuckle. But against Winnipeg's defensive front, the reality is you're in tough regardless with their ability to disrupt the backfield consistently with four-man rushes. In the CFL in this day and age, the best pass defense, in my opinion, is a pass rush that gets heat on the quarterback. And so far, offensive lines have not had a lot of answers for the Jefferson-Jeffcoat tandem. If Toronto is indeed down Philip Blake, that's a tough blow. He's a key member of that offensive line. 
Now it is worth noting that the Argos actually managed to not surrender a single sack last week against that unit, but we still saw plenty of pass knockdowns and forced throwaways. Staying out of second and long is going to be vital for this offense, with Winnipeg defending the pass at a robust 59% success rate through two games. For the Bombers' offense, the potential absence of Nick Dembski is probably the most important thing to monitor as game day approaches. He's pretty much their Swiss Army knife, particularly with Andrew Harris on the shelf. Short routes, deep routes, jet sweeps. Dembski can do it all in this offense and do it fairly effectively. And if he's indeed unavailable, that is a big loss. Brady Oliveira, running back, he's a fan favorite in Winnipeg already, is the local kid in the spotlight. But truth be told, outside of the fourth quarter in week one against Hamilton, the Bombers' run game has not been particularly effective, and the Argos held them to a paltry 4 out of 15 success rate on first downs last Friday. Now, the trade-off for that was the Argos got torched in the short passing game by Zach Caleros, who seemed to be picking up 8 to 10, 12, 8 to 10 yards at will. That will need to improve, but as I alluded to in the previous installment, reliance on so many short games can be a bit of a dangerous game in three-down football on a 110-yard field, as all it takes is really is one untimely incompletion on second down to stall a drive out. And indeed, we didn't see this Bomber offense do a ton of damage on the scoreboard last week with just two completions going for 20-plus yards on 43 called pass plays. So at the most basic level, the market originally elevated Winnipeg a little bit week over week by virtue of installing them as a pretty similar sized favorite, despite them being the road team for this game. But we've seen some substantial market correction with that number now down at three and a half. I don't think the injury news really had that much of an impact yet as we're only just kind of getting these reports now. So I'll be interested to see how the market reacts if we get some of these players confirmed in or out when the depth charts get released on Friday. Now, you'll remember last week the ridiculous number of penalties the Argonauts took. It's hard to believe they would be that undisciplined two games in a row. So that's something that is theoretically easily correctable that could improve their fortunes here. With a normal amount of penalties and better fumble luck, I, I think the odds are good that the Argos would have indeed covered last week as seven-point dogs, which may push you in the direction of taking them laying more than a field goal at home against the same opponent. For me, I think there's just a little too much uncertainty right now regarding the injury situation to take a firm position here, but I do think if some of these Argos, particularly Charleston Hughes and Philip Blake, do get declared fit to play, there could be some value on this number if it happens to push back in the direction of six. The total we're seeing right now is at 45.5, pretty low by traditional CFL standards. But we just saw a 27-point combined output from these clubs, and turnovers didn't significantly hurt that total in my estimation. If Nick Dembski can't go, I think this could hinder the Winnipeg offense to the point that I would lean under here. I think the Argos offense will likely perform better than last time out with Arbuckle at the helm. You'll remember McLeod Bethel-Thompson missed a few wide open men downfield. That could have certainly swung things in a more positive direction. But is that enough to get them up to 20 points against a defense that's given up 13 total in two games? I'm not certain that it is. And if they can't hit 20, you're banking on the Bombers hitting 25 plus to push this total over. 
And I'm just not sure that they have that in them if their running game remains stuck in first gear. Not the sexiest path forward, but sometimes we just need to be patient. And personally, I'm in wait and see mode with this number right now. Though I do expect the Bombers to be the public's choice at the current price. So if you're keen on Winnipeg, I'd make your move sooner rather than later. To wrap up the week, we'll head back to Regina, where the Riders will play host for a third consecutive week. Coming to visit will be the undefeated Ottawa Red Blacks. They are coming off a bye week, and one thing I can say with certainty is this will be the largest number we see on the board so far this season, with Saskatchewan laying 10.5 points as it stands now. On the injury front, really only one major injury for the Riders right now. Receiver Shaq Evans went down during last week's game, and I believe I heard he has a broken bone in either his foot or his ankle, but I couldn't actually find an official injury report. Needless to say, I don't expect he'll be on the field Saturday. Ottawa looks to have a few guys nicked up right now. Sherrod Baltimore and Abdul Kenna, both limited or absent from practice through Wednesday, though they were full participants on Thursday, so that is a promising sign. So Ottawa, prior to their bye week, did pull off the outright upset as seven and a half point dogs on the road in Edmonton. But you'll recall Matt Nichols passed for an abysmal 71 yards and the offense overall failed to move the ball for most of the night. That was against a secondary that didn't look overly strong in their second outing against the Owls. Now they're going up against a very active defensive backfield featuring guys like Luchez Purifoy and Nick Marshall. So one would think the run game will feature prominently, at least early on for Paul Lapolis's offense. When you're this big of an underdog on the road in a hostile environment, keeping mistakes to an absolute minimum is crucial. So I don't expect to see Matt Nichols trying to push the ball downfield very often early on. The problem I see here is that Ottawa's run game just isn't very good. I talked about this previously, Tim Flanders is not a feature back at this level, and I can't even say this is a case of a guy who just hasn't had a bona fide opportunity yet. He's been kicking around the CFL for several years, and at no point has he shown himself to be more than a guy you throw in there for a few snaps to give your starter a breather. Ottawa's offensive line looked like they were barely hanging on against the Elks, and now they've got Micah Johnson to deal with in the interior. Two games worth of film on Saskatchewan and a bye week to work on some stuff should help here, but until they prove otherwise, I just don't expect to see a lot of production out of this unit. The Riders, on the other hand, are having no issues moving the football right now. Coming off the win over Hamilton, where Cody Fajardo led the offense to a superb 63% efficiency rating, almost half of Saskatchewan's called pass plays hit for 10-plus yards last week, and the concerns I had with their O-line have thus far not materialized, partly due to how quickly balls are leaving the pocket. This offense looks like they're in mid-season form at a time when most other offenses in the CFL are shaking off the rust, and with former Red Block William Powell pounding out runs at better than a 50% success rate, they can beat you any way they choose right now. The Red Blacks defense is going to have to find a way to create some second and long situations. They failed to do that against the Elks, but were able to bail themselves out with several timely turnovers. And if they have any thoughts of walking out of Ryderville with another W, I think forcing multiple turnovers is their best shot. 
Saskatchewan has good depth in the receiving core, but with Shaq Evans on the shelf, they don't appear to have any proven game breakers lining up on the outside. And if there's one area of the field where Ottawa might be able to get the upper hand, it's with their downfield coverage unit. Their D-line did register three sacks in the season opener. I don't expect them to replicate that against a much more mobile quarterback this week, but Cody Fajardo is a guy willing to try and fit the ball into a tight window, and if they can manage to at least hurry him, it's possible he'll make a mistake or two. This game does have blowout potential. I, I don't think any of us would be surprised to see the Riders push past 30 points again. 10.5 is a big number, though. You get to a point where one blown assignment on a kick return or a turnover inside either 20-yard line that takes a potential major off the board or sets the other team up for one is enough to put a cover in serious jeopardy. Over the last 13 seasons, only one out of four games approximately end with a margin of victory greater than 17 points. Why is 17 points important if the spread is only 10 or 11? Well, it's important because a team up by that many points in the last two minutes of a game will typically have several of their starters pulled and be perfectly happy to play 15 yards off the ball and let their opponent move down the field so long as it kills the rest of the clock. No guarantees they actually find the end zone in those situations, but the possibility does exist. We do see numbers like this get backdoored by big underdogs, and unless the Riders are up at least three majors pretty late in this ball game, you're still at risk of losing the bet despite the game unfolding pretty much how you expected. Now to be clear, you couldn't pay me to back Ottawa on this game. I don't care if the spread moved to 15. I will not touch them until they've at least managed to score an offensive touchdown in 2021. But unless this move, number moves down into single digits, a, a play on the Riders against a team that, for all their criticisms I have of them, they did find a way to win their first game outright. It's not something I'm going to entertain. So let's have a look at the total then, which sits at 46.5. This looks a touch high to me, given Ottawa's offensive ineptitude. And you're probably looking at needing 30 minimum from the Riders if this game were to go over. Regina has been known to have a summer storm from time to time, and the wind is always a possibility. Wind in particular will hurt scoring. Looking at the forecast, it doesn't look too bad, but that's something to check into on the morning of the game if you're still thinking about making a play on the total. I think in this situation, an underplay is probably heavily influenced by the expectation that Ottawa will not find the end zone more than perhaps a single time. So when that's the case, I tend to look closer at the team totals instead of the game total. We should see the Red Blacks team total at or around 17 points. These numbers are usually just an extrapolation of the game total and the spread. That number is available right now at some of the lesser known books. And if there is a play to be made, then let's be honest, who wants to watch a football game without a little action? I think this is the direction I would be looking. 17 as opposed to 16 and a half is somewhat of a consideration here. A converted major and three field goals, for example, would leave you with 16 points. But we know in the CFL, the Rouge is always in play. And it's nice to know that you have that extra point to give without outright losing the bet should it come down to that. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap up the second installment of Third Down Gamble for week three. If you missed the first show, I did give out Montreal minus three as the best bet for this week. That number was available briefly at the major books when they opened their lines. 
In fact, a much better number was available at some of the lesser-known books. Things have since moved strongly in Montreal's direction. I'm seeing five and a half now. Calgary was expected to start Michael O'Connor at quarterback in that game. They've since released the depth chart with rookie Jake Meyer listed at QB1. How much that affected this line movement is hard to say, as neither QB has much of a track record. At five and a half now, I think, unfortunately, you missed your chance to back the L's if you haven't already done so. But if you really need to get something down, you could always consider them as part of a teaser leg. Thanks, as always, to everyone who tuned in this week. The pleasure was mine, and we'll do it again next week, hopefully with a few extra dollars in our pockets. And let's go enjoy the games.